Hello, my name is Nanaba Duncan, and this is Media Girlfriends. It has been a long time, and I'm so glad to be talking to you because there's a lot to say about what's happened since the last episode. There have been major epiphanies, career moves, a pandemic. So in this episode of Media Girlfriends, you're going to get an update. I'll tell you how I found myself getting into doing research, and I'll tell you why Media Girlfriends is now a small business. And to do that, I'm going to bring in two of my very special Media Girlfriends, Hannah Sung and Garvia Bailey. Welcome, Garvia and Hannah. Welcome to you. I don't know what and that means. And to us. <laughs> glad to be here. I am also glad to be here. Do you feel a bit silly recording ourselves in a podcast when you normally do it for other people? Mm, that's a good question. Wow. It's like you're you know, made for this kind of work. Um, <laughs> yes, I, it, 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 it's it, no, there's nothing wrong with this. I think it's, I think it's high time we told our old, our own story. Don't yes. you, Hannah? Mm-hmm. Don't you think yes. so? Yeah. I mean, it is kind of funny to be on this side of the mic, but I mean, give us 30 seconds and we'll settle right in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of that, can you two introduce yourselves? Absolutely. I'm uh, Garvia Bailey, I guess longtime broadcaster, producer, all of that, mother of one, and uh, living in uh, this beautiful city of ours. And you guys are my my friends and now my colleagues and my co-founders in this is this enterprise. I love stories. I love storytelling. This is what I've been doing all my life. I feel like that's what I was born for to do. And um, I love books. I do a lot of interviewing and things like that for the Toronto Public Library and other uh, institutions. And I love producing. Um, I've worked, I worked with the CBC for quite a long time and then moved on to uh, Jazz FM, where I started out as a leading, leading their, their arts and community building initiatives and then turned into a morning show host. And then um, took a turn into real podcasting with a, a few organizations and have really enjoyed that part of my life as a freelancer. And now we turn the page to another chapter of it. And I'm very excited about it. Yeah. And we're going to get into that. Hannah, who are you? Well, my name is Hannah, and I've been trapped in my house for uh, a year and a half. Um <laughs> Welcome to my pandemic. My grade five son is doing school on the sofa in the living room. I write a newsletter called At the End of the Day, which I started during the pandemic as well. Um, I write it for a people first perspective on the news, which basically just means me trying to process this fire hose of daily news and trying to bring it down to what should matter to us the most at the end of the day, which is, you know, to me, it's about how to care for ourselves and our people and our community and um, just thinking a lot about, uh, you know, relationships and uh, social fairness and how to do that in our lives, you know. Um, I make podcasts with Garvia on the daily, like we work together <laughs> every day now. So funnily enough, during the pandemic, my work life has been amazing. (laughs) Because yeah, um, even though we're doing this funny thing of building a company and making podcasts remotely from home, from our home offices, it's been really, really great working with Garvia and then with our extended team as well. So that's what I do. Um, Previously, I, you know, I've worked in journalism for a long time. I started at Much Music. did a bunch of things at the CBC, went to the Globe and Mail, um, TVO. Uh, I did the Asper Fellowship uh, when at Western University. That was pretty cool. I met some amazing students. We talked a lot about podcasting. And now I'm here with you today. And now you're here. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked about what's going on in our lives, Nanaba, but there is some big news. <laughs> that's happened in your life from the last time there was a Media Girlfriends podcast. Mm -hmm. So can we just talk about that for a minute? Yes, we can. Um, The big news is after about 15 years of working at CBC, I quit. And now I am a journalism professor. (laughs) Professor Duncan, yes. 
That's the headline. That is the headline. <laughs> so what are the details um, of that? Well, I have to run things back a little bit. So I took an unpaid leave for a year from CBC because I got the William Southern Journalism Fellowship at Massey College in the University of Toronto. This is a year-long experience. It's for mid-career journalists, which is kind of a fuzzy term. And it's for them to take a break from the jobs. You take courses at U of T, you're auditing them, and you're part of the Massey community. So you attend events, you go to lunches, you hang out with the junior fellows, the senior fellows. Um, and it's also an opportunity to get started on any personal work or projects that you have. And why did you, what was the the, the deal with applying? Because you had a great gig at the CBC. Yes, so, I did. So, so why make that... Uh... Well, I wanted something different. That's mm. the truth. I wanted to level up in a way. I had been thinking about leadership. Uh, I did have leadership roles through Media Girlfriends, through um, Diversify CBC at CBC, which is the employee resource group for employees of color. Um, but I wanted to level up in a way where I could make money doing that leveling up if that makes sense you know mm -hmm. i just want to take a break and i, and I, I you know what i think that you know just as a, a friend on the outside mm -hmm. you were really moving into you know after the summer of 2020 as it was with george floyd and everyone talking about a racial reckoning and all of this you took a real leadership position as far as um those of us in journalism are concerned there were some voices that really rose to the top as we all started to think about what we were doing how we were doing it and the institutions that we were doing it in mm -hmm. and i think that you became a leader in that and and um and it makes sense to me that you wanted to push towards leadership because I think that's who you are. Mm -hmm. Thanks for noticing the, you know, what? <laughs> well, I mean, <clears throat> that takes a toll, mm -hmm. right? When yeah. you do that kind of work and um, you're pushing, whether it's publicly or not publicly. Um, yeah. It's a lot. Honestly, it, it was a lot for me. But then broke. you decided to do the, you did, you broke. Yeah, I broke a bit. I did. Hmm. Um, I just wanted to not do anything sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I was really glad to have the fellowship because I remember thinking, I don't know how much more I can take. Right. Right. That's big. Yeah, I know. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I knew you, you were going to get me here, Garvia. I'm God. sorry. So fast too. Wow. Um, but you, you did decide though, even with, um, you know, feeling so raw in the time mm -hmm. that your, that the research that you wanted to do. Um, it was based was on that. Yeah. So tell, really? like, can we talk about what that research is? Yes. Like what so you decided to do for the fellowship? Yes, I wanted to do research on the experiences of racialized leaders in the media. I wanted to find out what things have been like for them because I had never actually worked with a racialized person who was in leadership myself. So I was thinking, you know, if if I take on a leadership position, like who can I look to? Who can I... Um, I don't know. I just wanted, I wanted to find out more basically. So the idea was to do a bunch of interviews and then create a brand new podcast based on that research, which is essentially why we're doing this episode. Oh, mm -hmm. this is okay. like, this is the report essentially. Okay. So today you're going to walk us through all of that research you did. I am. And I'm very excited to do it. Um, and it's great because this is the research that actually led me to the job that I have right now, which is officially the Cardi Chair in Journalism, Diversity, and Inclusion Studies at uh, Carleton University at the School of Journalism there. And my position is an associate professor. And I will be doing some of this research there. But um, here I go. Okay, so 
I already told you that the research that I wanted to do was about racialized leaders in Canadian media. Um, but the thing that I really wanted to find out was, like, how do they go about their work? What methods are they using to advocate for racialized communities, for their direct reports, for their colleagues? Um, and when they're doing that, what is the response that they get? Um, what do they need to thrive, to succeed? And I was just curious about any advice that they might have for people like me, for racialized journalists who are considering leadership or who are at the beginning of their leadership journeys. How many people did you end up talking to and, and who were these these folks? Well, I talked to about 14 people. I managed to get to up to 14 people. Um, and mm. you are right about like how these are folks that aren't really spoken to as like a group of knowledge keepers, if that makes sense. And that's yeah, one of totally. the reasons why I want to do this work is because I would like to elevate this group into our conversations about race and racism and diversity and inclusion in the industry. Why aren't we going to this particular group? Because they, they have a lot to say. Okay, so here they are. Racially and ethnically, they describe themselves as Black, South Asian, Brown, Filipino, Chinese, East African, Jamaican. Two were biracial, are biracial. They're based in Toronto, Ottawa, Vancouver. Uh, they're mainly women. Two of them are men. The oldest is in her 80s. The youngest is in her 40s. Wow. And in terms of their positions, they were executive editors, of a national magazine, senior producers in national newsrooms, news directors, a managing editor of digital news, executive producers, head of operations at a podcast company, and their direct reports, um, and by that I mean like how many people were under them, uh, ranged from two direct reports to 75. So, so give us the goods. What are they saying? I mean, I don't think that you're going to be surprised. One of the things that came up was the burden of responsibility when it came to being a racialized leader who cares about diversity. That was a big thing. And I'm going to tell you what some of them said. They, they said that I could share this. One participant said about her company's hiring, I'm always the one to advocate for diversity, and I give a shit about that so much. I always have guilt because there aren't as many diverse people as I would like within this company. But at the same time, I always carry the burden of, we have to be more diverse, and it's exhausting. Another participant said, as we know, as a racialized person in leadership, you're still penalized in other ways. Ostracized is too strong, but just dismissed is probably a better term for what happens. When anybody in the newsroom has issues and they don't have the confidence that if they say something, it's going to go anywhere, or they're going to be seen as troublemakers, and we all know that we are seen as troublemakers, they go to me. So I am the resident troublemaker. That's what one participant said. And here's the last one. They said, as people who are racialized, we will always be seen as having an agenda. We raise these issues in a way that a white person isn't. So we have to pick our battles, right? Because people can hear you and then just say, well, she's biased, and then just disregard you. Yes, you still have to say your truth, but do you want to affect change? That's still a very vulnerable position. And I don't advise it for a lot of people unless you're 100% sure you're safe because I've seen that go wrong. <laughs> what do you I think? Have also, I have also seen it go wrong. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you sure have. Mm. Um, you know what? I, you know what comes to mind? Honestly, you guys, I, it comes to mind. Um, who do you hope um, this research touches? You know, Garvia, that's an excellent question. I would like the power havers to know about this. Mm -hmm. I would like leaders, uh, particularly white ones and those who are part of dominant society, I, I want them to see this and to know it. But I also want people who, like journalists who are considering leadership and journalists who aren't leaders and racialized to just know this because some of these people mm -hmm. have been in the job for like 
20, 30 years. And this is stuff they still think about. There's one person who said, oh, I know that I'm where I am because they didn't like what I had said before. Like she was just, she just knew that she was not getting further because of the moves that she had been making to advocate for others. Mm -hmm. And she just, you know, it was an accepted thing. And isn't it funny? Sometimes it's, it's um, just advocating for yourself. It's not even that you're advocating for others. You're just trying to, you know, you're trying to make moves for yourself. Hmm. Hannah, I'm so curious what you think, because you have had direct reports as well. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? Um, my thoughts are that this is triggering. Oh, I'm so <laughs> For sorry. Real. No, 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 no. It's fine. It's good. Oh my God. Nanaba, this work that you're doing is so important. Mm-hmm. And I just think about like, if I let myself sink into these quotes that you're sharing with us, you know, um, like I relive my own work situations, which are mm-hmm. truly, and I know you guys can probably relate, like so infuriating I still think about all the reasons why I walked away from many different jobs right and um when you think about those scenarios because there's never a satisfying resolution you still feel mad or at least I do you know yeah but what's really a hundred percent flip tables yeah Flip tables, Matt. I could flip the table right now. Same here. Angry and exhausted. Yeah. You know what? The reason why there's not more flip flip tables is because we're so tired. (laughs) We're so exhausted. I can't even. I can't even flip it. How many tables (laughs) need to be flipped? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but yeah. Okay. So then sometimes I think you know, Garvia, your question is so fascinating because um. Nanaba, when you say you want the power havers to to hear this, it's like, I want them to hear this too. This is important research. But also, if people in positions of power were just literally listening to their own staff, they oh. would have heard all oh of God. this. Talk about it. Because you just went and you asked these questions. And sometimes we... um racialized staff and leaders actually put up our hands and go walk into offices and tell our bosses this, that, and the other, and they still don't hear. It's incredible. Silence sometimes. Yeah. One thing that's been coming to mind is, so I uh, was able to speak to Stacey Marie Ishmael. So Stacey Marie Ishmael is a journalist and editor, um, and she just stepped down as the editorial director at the Texas Tribune. She's worked at BuzzFeed and Apple, and she's been pretty outspoken when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And something that she mentioned when I was talking about the research that I was doing was she, she made the point that just because you put a racialized person in a leadership position doesn't necessarily mean that they will do the inclusion work mm-hmm, for sure oh yeah work. totally for sure and it's something that has stuck with me because we have seen that for we have sure. seen that mm-hmm. and i also honestly give grace for that sometimes because you know what sometimes you need to put your head down and just do the work for some people that is their way of surviving and i won't i don't really want to judge people for doing that because not everybody has to hold the torch of inclusion and diversity but at the same time i still think that by making this space and doing what you said hannah just putting racialized leaders into these positions that change can happen like i still believe it even Mm -hmm. though i agree with what she was saying and and the and the whole like you know at the end of the the day a lot of these people are working in you know legacy institutions Mm -hmm. where um, even if you were to switch out um, 
managers or those in leadership positions, they're still having to do the hard work of dismantling systems that have been in place for so long. So it's not just you reach coming in and doing uh, diversity inclusion work. It becomes something much bigger. Mm. I want to know about a little bit more about this research Mm -hmm. at, at, at any of the things, did things pop out? Because we're not surprised by some of the things that you, you said, but were there things that came out of this that surprised you where you're like, what? Well, I don't know if I should have been surprised, but there was a level of insecurity that that struck me by some people who had very uh, fancy names, (laughs) Mm -hmm. fancy titles, right? But they described uh, feelings of insecurity and not knowing, not being sure that they're doing the right thing. So that's one thing that struck me. Another thing is um, that even though a lot of these leaders uh, spoke about like some major difficulties at work, um, they seem to... I also asked them about advice that they would have for other racialized leaders, and they basically seem to want everyone to get into it. So here's what a couple of them said. Um, Absolutely go for it. If you don't seize the moment, you're just allowing other people to stay in charge, even though we all have internal voices. Like, what the hell, right? Why shouldn't you do it? Another person said, try and remember the reason that you came in. And if that reason is to represent your community better, then that's a good reason. This same person also said, however, uh, maybe you should do your own thing on the side because um, their side work definitely got me a lot more attention. And if you're not, um, consider doing your own thing. And the last person said, it's a long game. You need to be patient. Don't let it burn you out, but it is worth it. And it can be fun. (laughs) So, I mean, I just felt like, okay, I think I'm on the right track. But basically Mm. what I heard was, this is not going to be easy. (laughs) Not that I thought it was going to, but... Mm. um, So you know how before I had talked about... Well, I don't know if I said this, but one of the reasons why I wanted to leave CBC is because of feelings of frustration uh, when I was doing my work around inclusion and diversity. I am not delusional. I know that I'm going from one institution into another by going from CBC to Carleton and that because it's an institution, there will be some difficulties. Mm. I will come up to, like I will experience frustration. But what I like about this position is that the diversity and inclusion part is in my title. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I'm coming at it from a different direction. But also institutions can feel different, you know? Yes. But if you can find a place where you can do this challenging work and and still it comes out in your favor in the end, like you're not so depleted and you do have your people and it's like, you know, you're actually doing something productive, then that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not it's but it's not always going to be like that. And when in doubt, build something yourself. Oh, nice segue. (laughs) Nice segue. (laughs) Can we get to the big update for Media Girlfriends? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Hannah, you start. (laughs) Saddest trumpet ever. (laughs) Where's your tambourine, Garvia? Oh, yes. The tambourine. Bring the tambourine. It's time. Go get it. Tambourine. Go get it. Yeah. That's called fanfare, tambourine (laughs) fanfare. So media girlfriends, let's talk about it. Let's Let's talk talk about about it. it. Okay. Well, um, media girlfriends obviously started as this podcast from you, Nanaba Duncan, Um, but it has morphed, you know, into multiple different things over the years. Um, It has been an amazing personal board of directors for 
us for a group of friends, a, a support network, which everybody in the workplace needs. Everybody should should grab your um, personal board of directors and and talk about work in a really kind of open and wholesome wholesome way, like full full way of like mm-hmm. who you are. Um, we would go to like a cottage uh, once <laughs> or twice a year. Um, bounce out ideas, et cetera. And then, you know, it became, Media Girlfriends became a scholarship that was crowdfunded, which is incredible. Um, already two years down, many, how many recipients? Like three, we're, we're at five. Five, now. yes. Yeah, sparked by um, the wonderful Jennifer Hollett. Mm-hmm. Yes. Brilliant, mm-hmm. uh, Jennifer Hollett, yeah. And so, so we've gone through all those changes over the years and now we, we are... are- <laughs> A podcast production company. Yeah, you guys, you guys. I worked on a. I I, I hope you don't mind. Uh, I did work on a uh, some theme music. Did you work ally. on a rap? Well, it's not really a rap. It's like <laughs> are we at the rap break of the podcast now? <laughs> you know how they have <laughs> apple auto glass, the pick of the crop. This is like. We're a podcast production company. <laughs> I hope you guys like it. That was really good. What I really liked about that <laughs> was just that at the end of it, it was like, it was a staccato and like, yeah. you know, punch. It just, it's a it, punch. It, it punches through. It you don't really need any stuff. accompanying music, just acapella. No. Yeah, man. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still waiting with for little, your bars though. With a little uh, tambourine at the end. <laughs> We're okay. a podcast production company. There you go. <laughs> so Media Girlfriends is incorporated. We work with clients to produce podcasts. That's yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, the three of us are co-founders of Media Girlfriends Incorporated. Yes. So indeed. official, y'all. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So Hannah, how did this happen? How did the three of us become a podcast production company this past year what's the story okay you guys are gonna have to um correct me if my memory is failing okay but we were talking about this kind of stuff just in a kind of loosey-goosey way and and then our friend Tori Allen Mm -hmm. said there's this uh, request for proposals from this company, this organization, Historica Canada. Do you know them? They do the Heritage Minutes. Let's all get on a call. And it's like, okay. And we all got on a call in August of 2020. And it was um, pretty fun and exciting because Tori was like, hey, have you seen this opportunity? Uh, There's a Black History podcast um, request for proposals from Historica Canada. Maybe it's your time to get started as a production company. And so, you know, we did a little bit of talking about what um, actually being in business together might look like, but mostly we were just super like running away with ideas. And, you know, the fact that we all got together and we're so excited about the project and so excited about the opportunity to work together and our ideas were melding already at that very early point mm-hmm. made it like when we got that, that, um, that proposal together, it was just like, Boom. Yeah. I would have been mm-hmm. shocked if we didn't get it. You know, I remember talking about a lot of really big things in that very first phone call. I remember us talking about what it's like to handle stories yeah. that are, um, you know, this was the summer after George Floyd, right? Mm-hmm. People's feelings were so, there were so many feelings. And, and we were talking about how we didn't want to talk about just anti-Blackness and racism without like we didn't want to just talk about the shadows. We wanted to talk about some light and we wanted to talk about families. You know, I felt like we needed to talk about the, like, um, just the news is really hard and just participating and being a person in the world can feel really hard. And I felt like if we're going to talk about, readdressing history we should acknowledge that people want to celebrate history too and feel joy and pride too and there are ways to do that also I remember saying like 
I don't know if I should be a part of this project because, yeah, you know, I feel strongly that black creative people should be the people who are handling the stories of black history that needs to be re addressed. Right. Um, but yeah, do you remember, you remember that part of the conversation? I do. And just to clarify, this is all, the RFP was for a black history podcast and video series with Historica Canada. Mm-hmm. And when we were talking, do you actually recall what we said back to you when you, when you expressed your concerns? Yeah, it was a lot of talking all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I remember something like, you know what, like, you are a good producer and it's not about you're a good person or we know your heart. It's like, we know how you think about these things. And because we know how you think about these things and you are even using, I think in some ways your own experience, then you can do this. And you're, it's not like you're doing it by yourself. You're doing it with us. I do remember, um, Garvia saying to me after a lot of a lot of everyone talking at the same time Garvey was like I want to work with you yep. and that mm. to me felt like I really heard you say that mm. um and I think by the end of that conversation that that portion of the conversation um I felt like uh it was okay to be part of a group like the three of us, we were not going to make the entirety of the production team, right? Because you need more people than just the three of us. Two black women, a Korean Canadian woman, you know, like, um, I felt like it was okay to be part of a team where there would be genuine diversity and representation Mm -hmm. and um, black creative people in multiple stages of the production. Yeah. Um, because we talked about that too, like doing our best to find um, people who would have the lived experience, um, but also obviously the professional experience. Like it can't just be about some strange paint by, you know, paint by yeah. numbers kind yeah. of uh, team assembling. Um but I appreciated that we talked about that right off the top from our very first conversation. Um, because you, you like, I don't know, it kind of feels like maybe there have been situations in the workplace where I have learned um, that it's okay to talk about these things. And I found like the language to even start to have these conversations. So by the time we were in a position to have this conversation, we could do it. Yeah. And you could and you could express the con- this concern like with humility and not like overwrought guilt. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's a yeah, bit of a yeah. nuance mm-hmm. there. Yeah, you end up having to to kind of hold someone's hand through it or or do some sort of I don't know, therapeutic work with people Correct. as opposed to just doing the work, you know. Yeah. And I I think we 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 were able to cut through all any we didn't have any of that because we'd all had our experiences and we'd all been quite open about sharing our experiences because we'd been um because we've been that board of directors for each other and knew exactly where we were coming from and um you know we 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 entered into this thing with um Historica Canada and with um and very quickly, we realized that even Nanaba wasn't going to be a, a part of it because you got yes. the job at Carlton. Mm-hmm. Yes, we should talk about that. Because I, speaking of being so, overwrought with guilt, like was, all of a sudden, I was frankly you know, feeling really bad. I really no, was, no, no, I'm, yeah. I'm just being honest. This is what happened. I was considering this job, but I was also like, I'm doing this, I'm doing this thing that we have been talking about. Like, we are starting a business together and I love this but also there's this position am I leaving them in the lurch am I um running away from this thing that we said we were going to do and in the end we figured it out but that's what was going on with me at the time I was feeling bad that I was going in a direction that sort of just popped up for me you know mm, yeah no but you know but you got me together of- 
Yeah, we got you together because, mm-hmm. you know, you were doing you're doing the work that you set out to do. You got this position that you went out to get. It didn't mean that um that you were not going to be part of the company. Like you're you're a huge you're, part of it. Yes. You're a huge part of it with fingers yeah. in every part of every mm-hmm. production um that we're that we're doing including this one and hopefully you're going to play some of the trail our trailer. Yeah. Can we play the trailer right now? It's not just Black folks who are robbed of our histories when we see our histories erased in this way, but all of us are robbed of our collective stories. Our history belongs to all of us and would really help us to understand who we are as Canadians if we had a better understanding of who we've been all along. But if you're saying I'm a citizen and I'm saying I'm a citizen, you're saying I'm equal and I'm saying I'm equal, then let's see that reflected in the curriculum. Strong and Free tells six important stories in Canadian history, from the earliest Black settlers to recently arrived Canadians. These are just some of the stories of Black Canadians thriving and contributing to the building of this nation. Listen to Strong and Free, a six-part podcast from Historica Canada, produced by Media Girlfriends. Find it wherever you get your podcasts, because Black history is Canadian history. And there it is. That's the thing that you made. That is. Yeah. I'm so proud yeah, of it's, you. It's pretty. I feel really proud of it. Um, I feel proud of the way that we did it. Oh, I feel, yeah. You know, like, you know, as much as I think that it's a great um, product, you know, I also am really happy with how we were able to you know, lift as we climb during the whole process, like everything that we wanted to set out to do as a company, as media girlfriends, all of the sort of um, like the vision stuff, the, 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 our, you know, the things that make it us, we, we really clung to those ideals during the process of making this. I think you you were the one that made us stick to some of those ideals. You are constantly talking about the how and taking care of this work, Mm -hmm. care at every sort of step. And that came in our first meeting, how we Mm -hmm. spoke to each other, how we spoke to the entire team, um, focusing on communication, that kind of thing. And also I witnessed between the two of you, like you, you sensed when the other was feeling stressed about something Mm -hmm. and then you would give them the space and you'd say, don't worry about it. I got you. Mm -hmm. It felt really, I mean, it's so nice. It was great. (laughs) You know, you know, I, you know, as much as I talked about care through the whole thing, sometimes, you know, Hannah had to come in and remind, remind me to, that it was okay to pump the brakes on something or, you know, have we checked in on this producer because it feels like Hannah would say something like, it feels to me like X or Y is overwhelmed. Mm. Let's just take some stuff off their plate. You know, so and then I would be like, oh, yeah, (laughs) light bulb would go off. Yes, we can just do that. (laughs) I also learned that you're so detail oriented, Garvia, and I love it because it um, makes me relax a little bit because I know that I sometimes I'm not, you know, and I'm like someone someone is like you're basically it's like that robot with um the multiple little robots come together into the big robot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you're like, the details part of the robot. I love it. <laughs> That's so funny oh. because I've never felt that that was who I am. But I think that with us, we all just, you know, we fall on our, our strengths and, and I think that that's what makes, you know, media girlfriends, not just the, you know, not just the scholarship, not just the, 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 the network, but now the production companies. Mm-hmm. So, um, so wonderful, like, you know, and I'm still waiting for the dime to drop when we have our first big sort of like fight loggerhead. Yeah. Where, mm-hmm. where I yeah. don't think it's, where it's not going to be a fight, but I know that, 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 that has got to come at mm-hmm. some point, but I think that there's been many moments where I've been spinning out 
and um, one or both of you have brought me back down. And so I know that when we get to that point of loggerheads, we're we still have the care for each other as individuals. I, I feel you because even in the beginning, I was like, do I really want to go into business with my friends? You know that. We talked mm-hmm. about this a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So I think we're all working to avoid that happening. That's why we have lawyers. Yeah, we did the legal groundwork so that if anything happens, like we, it was very intentional, right? Like we did all the grown up details so that, yeah, so that we can have everything in place so that if we fight, it doesn't become like ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it ever would anyway, because something that I, I feel the proudest of with Strong and Free is the process and how we did it because, and Garvey, I was just learning from you every day in terms of how to do the work with care because we worked with a team of people whom we still have not met in person through a pandemic, through our kids being at home, through the stress of vaccines, through everything. On top of that, just the subject matter itself, like um, historians who don't agree on Mm. things that happened hundreds of years ago. you know, handling like French and English and multiple teams and multiple stakeholders like, oh, my God. And we never argued and nothing ever fell apart. It's <laughs> well incredible, it's actually. You had conversations. It, it didn't need to get to arguing in my mind because one person would say something and the other person would say, okay, I take your point. What about this? Like, you're both quite reasonable people. I put myself in that group. We're reasonable people. And um, I just don't think either of you would say anything that's outlandish or like do anything maliciously. Um, I want to give a big shout out to the team at Historica Canada, though. Mm -hmm. They made this happen in that like, I don't think it would have been necessarily as good if not for how good they were as individuals as well, right? They were so incredibly supportive in every way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we also asked them some pretty strong questions, I think, at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. In terms yeah, we of gave them, their, we gave them the our talk. ethos and their ethos. Yeah. Yeah. And we just wanted to make sure that th- that those things were top of mind in um, – in all of the decision decisions that we were making or the way that we were approaching people to be part of it. Um, we just wanted to make sure that they, that they understood that, um, that as much as that we were going to carry each other and our, all our reputations kind of hung on that. And maybe for us as the kind of company that we were and just, just starting out as well, that we didn't want to make a misstep in saying that we were one thing and then doing something else because of who we were aligned with. Mm-hmm. So they understood how important that was to us. So for us to be sure yeah, so about like who I, we were partnering with, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, they I understood how important all of it was. Yeah. I think it's fair to probably mention that, you know, um, like I'll start by <clears throat> I'll start by just going back for a second like when I was at the Globe and Mail and with a small team we were making a podcast about race in Canada we would reach out to people and occasionally feel the pushback of people who did not trust the Globe and Mail to handle their story mm-hmm. about race properly so that was a feeling that I had you know experienced or or situations that we've navigated And then, you know, that did happen again with Historica, where we would reach out to people and they would say, I'm not sure Mm -hmm. about taking part in this project. And um, to Historica's credit, they always let us, specifically you, Garvia, kind of lead with the situation in terms of like, okay, if there is a um, deficit of trust, like what do you think we should do? And and Garvia, you did exactly what you wanted to do, which was just have more conversations and find out more and and just, you know, take it from there. It wasn't like um this absolute thing where it's like we need to have this end product at all costs. It's like, okay, how can we manage the trust situation? How can we understand what's going on here? And in the end, I felt like we had an amazing interview, you know, 
to show for that. Just to be a little bit more specific without giving names, I think that what this is about is the fact that some people work with institutions, people who are from marginalized communities, misrepresented, underrepresented communities. They work with institutions and they get burned Mm -hmm. or something bad happens. And so when they're invited to work with another institution or the same one sometimes, they just don't want to. And in this case, we had Garvia who understood in many ways and was able to bring her expertise in a similar sort of situation to that issue. And it's not to extract either. It's so that everyone can feel good in the end about our participation in the stories being told Mm -hmm. and stories being learned by ultimately kids in school are going to listen to this podcast. It's going to be amazing. Kids in school. Do you want to talk about the other project a little bit? We're working on a big, another big project Mm -hmm. with another big organization Mm -hmm. and with another, yeah, it's going to be great with a big personality um, at its forefront and it's and, be, and more big topics too and yes. more big topics yeah. um and more interesting challenges as the a production team mm-hmm. i think and mm-hmm. we're we're learning and growing through this one as well mm-hmm. and it's um yeah coming to uh coming to uh be published in november so yeah mm-hmm. so you'll he- be hearing about it soon <laughs> How much can you say without saying no, one anything? more that we can't say? <laughs> I have a question, which is that that project is also pretty black, I'll say, right? Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> yes, that's what I can say. It's black it's, to an extent. Yes. And um, do you think that that's our thing? Are we always going to be working on projects that no. have to do with racial identity? No, not necessarily. Naba, were you there when Garvey and I were talking about how the thing that feels mm, like potentially like quicksand right now, it's, it's, it's like it could go in any direction, but like we know who we are, we know what our identities are, we know what our lived experience is, and we want to bring our whole selves to our work. That's right. But we never want someone on the outside That's to right. take who we are in some superficial way and like tokenize us in the way that we have already experienced in the workplace before. We've all been on air people, for example, you know, I know Mm -hmm. what it's like to be put in front of a camera for specific types of stories or events, right? We all know what that's like. And, and as we build a company, we never want anyone to do that to us. Um, There's, it's like such a, a fine line. It is. And, uh, so anyways, I heard you, Garvia, when you said no. It's like not not all identity-based um, content moving forward. Um, but at the same time, we're always us. And the stuff exactly. that we make is always going to be made by us. Our fingerprints are all over it, you That's know. Right. But it's the, it's the difference is like the ownership kind of of that feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I I – I know that I want to make some work that is kind of more personal in nature eventually. Um, and I wouldn't do that for just anybody, but I would do that with us, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes. You know what? We're, I think we're closing this up, but before we do, uh, what is our vision for Media Girlfriends Incorporated? I think about vision in a, a few ways. Like I think that, the the vision for this is to is is really to make really great content really great stories um with the professionalism and the journalistic rigor Mm -hmm. and the and the creativity that we all bring to the table and to do it all with just such a deep sense of care for every piece of it and that means the people that we work with the people that we're interviewing, the stories that we're telling. Like, I mean, that to me, that's my personal vision for who we are and to just continue doing that. You just summarized our deck perfectly. 
Yeah. yeah. I just love you guys. I just want to be able to just like, you know, one day retire and say that we've done something really great, you mm-hmm. know, and we'll visit each other. We'll be wearing our moo-moos and <laughs> you'll I'll be at your my- sheep farm. I will bring my hand knitted um, scarves from my sheep that I've sheared myself. Like it's just gonna be the best, you guys. I'm so very excited about it. <laughs> but for now, we're just gonna make great podcasts with lots of great people. Yeah, yeah, and I just want to add that you know, the vision for for our company together. It's kind of like the standards that I used to have in the workplace that were just a part of the workplace culture of like you must excel it must be the best you want to make award-winning work you want to you know xyz like all those things are kind of still in me obviously I want to make incredible um bar setting work but I will never sacrifice the relationships or the everyday work to get there and I feel that I have worked in places that have really promoted that idea you know I think probably a lot of people can relate to that, right? So mm. it's like the people do come first. Um, and the amazing part is that when you work together in a copacetic manner and everybody is like supporting each other and you care about the content, the show will just be better <laughs> in the end anyway. So uh, my goal for this company is to enjoy our every day. And then when many, many, many days have passed, we look back with a lot of pride. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I'm with that. I'm with that. That's go perfect. on, Hannah Sung. Okay. <laughs> tambourine. 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 Oh bring the tambourine. Bring it. <laughs> that's great. Oh my gosh. You know what? People always ask. So this is gonna come out, but um one thing that people ask too is like, is there going to be another season? of media girlfriends we'll always come back and tell you what's happening but if you've been listening to media girlfriends from day one or you've become a super fan like in the last month um i'm so grateful for you and for all of the support that has come our way and hannah and garvia thank you for helping to make my life a good one. Oh my god i'm it. so grateful for you nanaba and you garvia ditto y'all I love y'all. All right, let's say bye. 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 <laughs>